Father God, we're so grateful for your word. Thank you that it's, it's deep and it's also practical. It, it, it helps us in life. Not just when we set aside some time to be in a church building, but throughout all of life, through every day, every, every moment that you've given us to live. And so we ask that your word would truly penetrate our hearts, our minds, and continue to help us to grow more holy, to live lives that please you and glorify you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, this is it. This is the end of this series on Hebrews, which started last January. So you've done it. Almost. We're almost there. Give me a few more minutes with you and we'll be there. Um, But uh, I wanted to entitle the message, Blessings from God. This book um, is just full of blessing upon blessing upon blessing, focused on Christ, what Christ has done, who he is, who he has promised to be, and what receiving him does in our lives. It brings blessing from God the Father, brings his forgiveness, his mercy, his love. And so we have received blessing upon blessing over these several months of studying this one book. Now, this one book is only one of the the, the many books that God has given us to study. And that's the exciting thing. You could spend your whole life. We could spend another five or six weeks as I was looking at chapter 13. We could spend another five or six weeks. The problem is that would bring us through Christmas, right? And we want to spend some time sort of reorienting ourselves and as we walk through this world, the world around us to what Christmas is truly all about. So Advent season, the season just before Christmas, these four weeks before uh, the 25th, uh, we'll be focusing on worshiping Jesus. What does it mean to truly worship him. And so we have a, a, an Advent series that I've been working on, and we'll continue with that uh, come the first Sunday of December. So what I want to do now, and I hope you're ready to run, it's like running around the sanctuary, but we're going to run through the, from the beginning to chapter 13, and then we'll pause, spend a little more time resting in God's word for chapter 13 before we go here today. So let's start here this morning. First of all, The book of Hebrews teaches us, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, it teaches us that Christ alone completely qualifies to bring us salvation. Nobody else does. He is the one and only Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And so the description that we're given there, starting in in chapter 1, all the way through chapter 4, about Christ himself, teaches us some things about who he is. It teaches us also who he's better than. Remember, remember our series is, is Jesus is better? Well, he's better than the prophets of old. These, these people who are being preached to here in the book of Hebrews are first century Christians and first generation Christians. They were raised in Judaism. So the whole Old Testament, all of its sacrificial system, even the sacrifices in the temple is still going on in their lifetime. So if they went to Jerusalem and they went to the temple, they would see the high priest. They would see the other priests serving in the temple. So it's still happening. It doesn't happen for many more years, but it's still happening in history. So they're the first generation. So what what this message does is it, it reaches out to them and it says, listen, even though the temple of old, the Old Testament is still taking place here, God has started something brand new. 
And he started it around his son. He's given the one you've been waiting for has come. And he has laid down his life and he has done it perfectly. He qualifies to bring us salvation. He's better than the prophets, as said there in, in Hebrews chapter 1. He's better than the angels. If an angel comes and speaks to you, you think, well, that's the height of spiritual you know, experience, right? He's better than that. He is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Now, Moses, the most revered because he met with God on Mount Sinai. He received the Ten Commandments. He received that, that whole setting up of what is this going to be like now that we've been released from slavery, from, from Pharaoh, and we are now a new nation with God as our leader. What will that be like? Well, Moses was chosen to lead them through and to get them to that point and to bring the law to them so that would, they would be able to set up for themselves a nation around God and around God's goodness. So they, they, they revered Moses, but Jesus is proven to be even better than Moses and even better than Joshua. Now, Joshua is the one who got to cross them over into the promised land. Remember, he, he took them into the promised land and they, they, they battled at Jericho. They battled all, all of the natives of that land and, and pushed them out so that they could be in that space that God had promised them to, through Abraham. So he brought them to an earthly kingdom, an earthly promised land. But God has more. God always has more. And that's, that more is centered around salvation. What is our salvation and how do we receive it? Because it isn't through works and it isn't even of this physical world. Christ alone qualifies us to, to is qualified to provide us with salvation. So who he is gives him an opportunity to do what needs to be done for us, to bring to us salvation. And he can do this completely because he is the ultimate high priest. They had set up an earthly temple and earthly sacrifices, and there was a, a priesthood, and then there was the high priest who went once a year into the Holy of Holies to offer that atonement sacrifice, that sacrifice of blood, so that the forgiveness of sins could be, could be put on the people by the high priest. Well, Jesus did that, but he did it in an even greater way. Jesus did that as high priest. Jesus actually became the tabernacle. God's spirit resided in Christ. And wherever Christ went, the spirit of God went as well. And so the tabernacle for them in the Old Testament had been a, a tent and eventually became the temple. But it was this place where you had to go to to meet with God. Now we meet with God through knowing Jesus Christ to going and receiving what Christ has done for us. And so he is that living tabernacle. He's like that sanctuary that's not made by human hands. It was made by God himself. And in that tabernacle, in Jesus' body, through what we just experienced even in communion, what we remember is that he made the ultimate sacrifice, the better sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice is that it was once and for all. No longer do we need the blood of goats, the blood of lambs. Now, the blood of Jesus cleanses us once and for all. And so the message that, that the, the, the pastor is bringing to the people is that you know, this is, this is going to pass away. This Old Testament temple. In fact, in their lifetime, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was torn down by the Roman Empire. And there has not been any more sacrifices in that way, in that place, 
ever since then because Jesus was the final sacrifice. They got to see that with their very eyes that he now is the temple that we enter into. He is the sacrifice that we need. He's the high priest and he's also the great shepherd. Now the great shepherd is mentioned in this chapter, in chapter 13. And so we'll get to that in a moment. But he is the great shepherd that now takes care of his flock. He leads them. He guides them. He helps them to to know where to go and where not to go. And as we follow the great shepherd, it will lead us to the promise. It will lead us to the Father. It will lead us into glory, into heaven with him one day. So we are called to, to be his followers To follow the great shepherd. That's why we read God's word. That's why we read through the gospels and we try to remind ourselves, what did Jesus say about this? What did Jesus say about that? Because those things, as we put them into our lives, help us to follow in that way. To follow in that new way. That that way that he has provided for us. You see, he has given us a new way to live. That's what Jesus did. All of the old is gone. All of the old is going. But there is a new way through Jesus Christ. A completely new way. And he's the only one qualified to lead us in that way. That's why it's important for you and for me to make sure we're not following a man or a woman or an organization to make sure we're following Christ himself. He is the only one pure enough, the only one good enough, the only one who has done what is needed to lead us perfectly. Because the rest of us are faulty. We have inside of us things that we're still processing through and asking God to help us with, whether it's motives or desires, things that don't quite line up with his kingdom. But Jesus himself is perfect. You never have to worry about trusting Jesus. You can trust him with your entire life and he will never fail you. He will always do what is right and what is good and what is according to God's will for you. So he is better than any other option. Any other person who's ever lived, any other philosophy, any other religion, any other thing, Jesus is the ultimate. And he has called us to follow him. And in these last couple of chapters that we've just covered in these last several weeks, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12, and then today, chapter 13, he's called us to follow him in a certain way. And we spent a lot of time in the first way. The first way is to follow him by faith, right? If we don't follow him by faith, we're not following him. Now, faith, faith was that, that definition that we need to, you know, it's, it's not what you see, it's what you hope for. It's something that's unseen. It's something that is of the spiritual kingdom that we follow God. We don't, we don't look for you know, the five senses, you know, like, oh, I can prove it, I can touch it, I can hear it, I can do this. No, we live by faith. And so we had a whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, which talked about those from the Old Testament who followed by faith, who lived their lives by faith. And we went over that in great detail, so I won't go over it this morning as we get to chapter 13. But also hope, we live by hope. We know that God is, is working and that God is continuing to draw us deeper into relationship with him and that we can put our hope in him. And chapter 13 says, and chapter 12 says, you know, don't get confused when he disciplines you. He's doing it because he loves you. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And don't ignore him when he disciplines you. When he says, no, no, don't do that anymore. 
You need, you need to come this way. This is the Jesus way. This is the new way of living. Not according to your flesh, but according to the spirit. And so chapter 13 is also similarly, it's interesting how the numbers sometimes, the numbers were put into the Bible a long time after the Bible was given to us and the, and the Bible was recorded for us. But 1 Corinthians 13, we know, is the love chapter. Well, also in Hebrews 13, is about God's love. It starts off with that passage, that, that, that verse which says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving one another. Because this walk with God is not easy. And when you go through hard times, if you're human, you need someone to come along and love you. When you've been through a hard time, when you've been through a difficult day, a difficult week, a difficult marriage, a difficult situation, you need some love to restore you. This is the beauty of God because scripture says in 1 John, God is love. But, but God has also called us as his body to represent that love in other people's lives, to bring the peace of God, to bring the love of God into people's lives who are hurting, who need that love. Because love restores us. It gives us what we need to continue to walk by faith and hope in God. So the walk that we have, before we get into the specifics of chapter 13, the walk that we have of faith and hope and love isn't easy street. There's nothing in this book that talks about easy street. In fact, this book is written to people who are going through hardships and who are actually ready to enter more hardships. There's persecution that's going on because they have chosen to follow Jesus. In, in trying to figure out the timing, the exact timing of this book, it's not always easy with an ancient book, but they, they know that Peter has already been arrested. Peter, who was the head of the church, set up in Jerusalem in the early church. He's already been arrested. He may not have been executed yet, but he's already in jail. And Paul has already been executed by the Roman emperor. So these things are happening around them, and they're a little upset. I don't blame them, do you? I mean, if, if, if our leaders, the people that we look up to, the people that even walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, are slowly being eliminated by, by their enemies... You, you start to get a little nervous, right? You start to maybe get a little fearful. You start to not be so faithful anymore and fear begins to creep in and you think, well, if I keep following Jesus, is that my, is that my ending as well? Is that how my story ends as well? I'll be imprisoned. I'll lose my, I'll lose my job. I'll lose my, my house. They'll, they'll confiscate my goods. All these things are talked about in this book because it's happening to them. So they are under real persecution. Not, you know, somebody making fun of them at the lunch table. Real persecution, you know. And, 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 and so they're being preached this message. They're being told, you've got to walk by faith. You've got to keep the, the hope in, in God and all of his promises. You've got you to walk in love with one another because you need it because it's, it's rough out there. You need to keep loving each other and helping each other through these hardships. And there's several warnings throughout this book. We covered many of them. We may not have covered all of them. But in chapter 2, there's a warning that's given to the people. Don't drift away. Pay attention to the Savior. Don't, don't drift away from him because times are tough. Because that may look easier. It may look easier to go back into the temple system. Go back to your, to your parents' household and, and be, you know, 
restored to that type of religious ritual. Maybe that's easier. Then you don't have to put up with your mother's complaints or your father's you know, anger. And you can kind of go under the radar. You know? So they're being tempted in this way. But, but their preacher says, don't drift. Don't drift. That, that's the way that everyone else is going. That's the way that you know, your culture has gone. That's the way your family units have gone. That's the way your village is. You know, all of the people that you grew up with, that's, that's what they say is the right way. But don't drift down that river because Jesus is the only way. He has now declared himself to be the only way to God. So don't drift down that river. The second thing is found in chapters 3 and 4, but it talks about the, this, this danger of not entering into God's work, uh, God's rest. Because their religious system was based on works. If you do enough good works, then maybe God will forgive you from all that bad stuff you've done. And maybe you'll be welcome into eternity with, with your father. There was no guarantees that they could be good enough. Because the truth is, none of us are good enough. We all have sinned and fallen short of that glory in God. So we need the gift of God, Jesus Christ, the gift of God, to bring us to that place of holiness and purity through his actions, not through our own. So, so don't get wound up in, in working your salvation, making it happen, that somehow through being good enough, through being kind enough, through, through giving enough to the church or whatever, that somehow you've earned your salvation. You don't earn it that way. The Old Testament system had been, had been twisted, and so people began to say, well, if I keep the law, if I do everything right, this is where the Pharisees come from and the Sadducees, if I do it perfectly, then I'm, you know, I'm God's favorite. But that's not true. None of us can do it perfectly. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So that's also one of the warning signs along the way. It's like, it's like running on a road and, 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 or driving on a road and seeing a caution sign. Caution, there's a bump ahead, you know. Or I, I always love this one when you're in the mountains. Caution, falling rocks. I always think, what am I supposed to do about it? I mean, if, if it falls on me, I can't... Like, what does that mean? You know, I, unless I turn around, I have to go through there. Caution, falling rocks. That one freaks me out. But, but these caution signs that, that the, the preacher of Hebrews has laid within this message of how great Jesus is remind us. There was one in chapters 5 and 6. It talked about growing up in Christ and being mature. You know, because we have a tendency to stay babies. We like it being babies. And other people take care of us. We don't have to do too much work. Because babies just sort of like get carried around. And put in the walker. And then put in the, in the car seat. And then put in their beds. And then put in someone's lap. I mean they don't do anything. God wants us to grow up in Christ. So we have to mature. We can't be lazy. We have work to do. We, we have a purpose in God. It's not work that earns us our salvation. It's work that gives glory to God. And helps others to find their salvation. And babies don't do that work. Babies, it's, it's all about me. You know, I don't like that song. I don't like it when Pastor Tom does weird voices in his sermons, you know. I don't, you know, like the babies are always, you know, just on the edge. Like you take a baby, it's nice and happy. You take it from its mother and hand it to Charlie and it goes, 
You know, it doesn't know Charlie, you know, it's a baby, right? So babies aren't what God wants from us. He wants us to be born again and to be spiritual babies, but grow up. Take in the maturity that God has given us in his word and through Jesus Christ so that we grow up. And when troubles come, we're not just, you know, we're like, it's okay. God's still on the throne. God has a plan in this. God hasn't abandoned me. I know who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. I can walk through this even though it's difficult. So I'm not denying the difficulty of it, but I can walk through this with God's strength, with God's hope in faith and continue to love those around me. It's not going to wipe me out. God has already given me victory through Jesus Christ. The, the fourth danger sign is, is this desire that we have to sin, right? That we want to continue in our sin because it's hard to give that up. We've, we've become accustomed to that. We need to be encouraged to, to not give in to every impulse of our sinful nature. We need to realize that, that as God matures us, as we grow up, sin should no longer rule in our lives. Now, do we still sin on occasion? Yes. When we do, we come to the throne of grace. We confess our sins. We receive his forgiveness. And we walk on in maturity. We continue to grow and to learn. And the last one that, that is, is mentioned in chapter 12 is, and we talked about it last week, is this danger to not listen to God's voice. There's actually a, a, a warning sign. <laughs> you know, don't be like Esau and just listen to your own, you know, physical needs and your own physical wants, but listen to God's voice. There are times when he calls us in another direction to not always fulfill our own comfort, our own joy, our own, our own, you know, little private life of pleasure, but he calls us to truly follow him. And that takes some sacrifice. And that takes some, you know, ignoring sometimes your own personal needs so that the greater need, the greater good can be done. All right. That gets us all the way through. It's only 11 o'clock, so we can look at chapter 13. Open your Bibles if you haven't opened them yet. I want you to see chapter 13. We're not going to do every, everything in it, but we're going to do some very important things in it. Because chapter 13 begins with three areas which I think are taking all of this, all of this theology about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what following Jesus looks like, taking all of that and putting it into very practical terms. This is actually, in most of the New Testament books of the epistles and, and the letters to the churches, this is kind of how the, 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 they end. They get real practical. They start talking about parents and children and marriages and, and how to treat you know, people. It gets very practical. So this is the same kind of structure of this particular passage, this, this message that was given to the Hebrews as well. It starts right out. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on. I like that it says keep on. It means that some of that's already taking place. You're doing that. This is a very loving community. I love leading this community because of the love that it shares for one another. We're not perfect by any means. We get there in heaven, but, but we, we, we enjoy the function that God's given us in the body to care for one another and love one another, especially in hard times. 
And I commend you for that. But like the, the preacher in Hebrews, keep on doing that. Don't grow weary in that. Don't say like, oh, I've done enough. You know, continue to ask God to, to re-strengthen you and to reuse you in that area because it brings a blessing, not just within the body, but when the world sees that kind of love, it's rare, right? And the world is attracted to Christ in us when we love one another well. So let's, let's remember that. It's important for us to have compassion on people who are in difficult situations. He talks here about, uh, about people being prisoners in verse 3. You know, he's like, you know, make sure you, you, you visit the, the, the prisoner. Remember them. Pray for them. Right? Now, remember, they're prisoners because of their faith. They're arrested because they're Christians. Right? And, 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 and so this is really important for us to understand. We talked one week about Belarus, the church in Belarus. It's, you see it in the news. They're still having struggles in that country. And they will probably for a very long time. But that church there that was thrown out of its church building and meets every Sunday morning in their parking lot. We have some experience with that, but not in the winter. Um, every, every, morning, every Sunday morning in their parking lot, they continue to come together as a church. They know the building isn't the church. They know the people are the church. So they continue to, 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 to draw together and to pray for one another and support each other through, through that persecution that they're currently in. And we should also be praying for them and other places in the world like that where it's not legal to be a Christian. It's not legal to gather and study God's word. It's not legal to come and sing God's praises. We have all these things to be thankful for, but there are brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who don't have that luxury. And so pray for them. He says, you know, remember those who are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. What kind of encouragement do you think you would need if you were, if you were imprisoned for your faith? Anybody want to? Let's answer that question. What, if you were in jail because... You were caught at a Bible study or you were caught sharing God's word in the public place or whatever. If you were in jail, separated from family and everybody else, what would encourage you? I want just two ideas. Anybody? John. So a visitor, right? Someone actually coming to encourage you. Yes, very good. Anybody? I saw a hand up here. Oh, same thing. All right. Anything different? Yes, Carolyn. Wimp out on being the prisoner? You couldn't handle it. All right, all right. So what do you do when you deal with someone like that who can't handle it? What do we do, people? We pray for them. We don't just say, I'll pray for you. We say, let me pray for you right now. And we write down our prayers and we send them so that when they need it, in the middle of the night, they can open that up and they can read that prayer to themselves. We, we, we put in their hands some things that like will help them because they're freaking out or wimping out, however you said it, Carolyn. All right, one more. If you were in prison for your faith. Yes, Steve. Well, if you were in prison for your faith and 999 people were telling you to turn your back on God... Mm -hmm. All right. So you'd need someone to tell you that. Don't give up. They can all be wrong. 
telling you this is crazy, Jesus doesn't, you know, doesn't save you, whatever they're saying to you, there's another way other than Jesus. All those people, 999 of those other prisoners can be telling you that, but you need somebody to say, no, 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 stick with it. You're right. This is the way. He is the one who brings salvation. He's the only one qualified to bring us salvation. So you would need that, that kind of solid, continual feeding on that truth. Great. Good job. Good job. So we're called to love one another as brothers and sisters. We're called to, there's this passage in here that says, be hospitable to strangers. That actually, if you look at the background, because Christians in this era, when this was being preached, were being thrown out of their homes and communities, the homeless population that they're talking about, it says, you know, don't forget to entertain strangers, all right, people from another community, people that didn't go to your church, aren't part of your group, but they were part of another church or another group, don't forget to entertain them, in other words, let them come into your house, feed them a good meal, be kind to them, it says, for For by doing this, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. Now, that's referencing back to one of the passages in the Old Testament when uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, had that experience. But but some people have entertained angels in that situation. That's an encouragement. Just, Just be kind to those who are strangers. Be kind to those who are going through a hard time. Welcome them into your home. You know, now that sounds scary, because we're told stranger danger, you know? And in some situations, you have to use wisdom, right? However, there's a lot of things we can do in that kind of attitude and kindness, especially for those who are going through hard times. All right, so that's the kind of love that Christians are supposed to share. Now, the next passage, verse, verse 4, the next verse, talks about purity, right? Talks about purity. Now, we've already discovered that throughout this book, he's taught, he's taught them about purity. He's used Esau as like the bad example. Don't be like Esau. <laughs> Don't be like Esau, right? Because Esau just was seeking satisfaction through his physical needs, right? Not God's way. Not through prayer, not through fasting, not through following God diligently, not through disciplines that are needed so that our, our flesh doesn't take over. And that's our sinful nature doesn't rule over us. And then says, because, because God, he's, he's there. He's, he's your ever-present helper in those times when you're tempted. But he's also the judge. Ultimately, God judges our lives. Because inside of us is just as important as outside of us. We learned in one of the passages that God sees to the heart. He, he sees all the way through, right? So you can be looking like on the outside you're doing things right, but on the inside you're not thinking that way. You're thinking in a, in a whole other way. Jesus used this when he was teaching about adultery. He said, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, even if you think about committing adultery in your mind, you've committed adultery. In other words, God is our judge. God knows what's going on. And so we need to come clean with him. We need to know that he knows and he still loves us and he wants us to walk in purity. He talks about here, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That's verse four of chapter 13. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. 
Keep your lives. Oh, that, that's the next passage. So, so this is just on, on sex, right? Keep it pure. Keep your marriage pure. Those of you in the community, do not ever tempt someone else's spouse. Do not ever get involved in relationships that are going to destroy the body of Christ and destroy someone's walk with God. Walk in purity. Not just in the area of sex, but also in money. The verse 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Don't love money so much and be so greedy that you lose your love for God and love for others. Make sure you keep that straight because that's a big temptation. And obviously, even in the body of Christ, it's a temptation. It's not like just because you become a believer, you got all that straightened out. Otherwise, it wouldn't be being preached here. This is being preached to a church of believers, right? So we need to hear that. We need to know that we need to find our security in God and in the presence of God, not in the things of this world. The other thing we learn in this passage, verse 7 and 8, is really where we should trust, who we should trust. Now, it starts to talk about leaders. It says, remember your leaders in verse, in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now he's saying remember their leaders because some of their leaders are now gone. In prison, executed, and soon even more will be. So leaders were under attack. If you were the leader of the Christian movement, leader of the Bible study, leader of a home church in this day and age, you for sure were going to jail. Maybe some of your followers, they, you know, they escaped out the back door or whatever. But you yourself, you were going to be in, in big trouble. This is true, again, in the persecuted church around the world today. The leaders are really under attack. They're the ones who will pay the price. And so he says, remember them and remember how they lived. Don't lose, don't lose sight of, of how they lived and how they explained God's word to you. And the kind of lives that they led. And imitate that. And then, he also talks about, later on, in verse 17 and 18, he talks about more about leadership. Because there's a transition going on all the time. If you're a leader, so if I'm taken out, another pastor will have to come and begin to preach to you. It might be one of our elders. It might be one of the worship leaders. Someone, but someone else has to come and fill that, that void. And fill that role in, within the church. And so leaders were, were, were being snatched out and put in prison and, and executed and put, you know, put in labor camps or whatever. And other people had to rise to leadership. And sometimes people didn't want to trust them. And so he's saying, listen, you know, learn from their example. Trust in that new generation of leaders. Listen to them so the church can stay united. So to end this study, which began on January 3rd of this year, I want us to end with this beautiful prayer. So we're going to skip to verse um, 21, 20 and 21. In Old Testament times, the blessing of God was spoken over the next generation and spoken over people. And this preacher ends with this beautiful prayer, verse 20 and 21, which he speaks over his people. And I would love for us to speak it to one another. I would love for us to grasp it uh, together and to allow God's peace and God's joy and God's conclusion 
to come on us. So let's, um, let's look at this prayer together. Uh, we'll put the slide up here for you. This is verse 20 and 21 of chapter 13. This is how the preacher, who has been preaching for several chapters, a very long sermon, he ends with this very beautiful blessing, which is also extended to us through Jesus Christ, being members of the church of God together. So would you listen to it the first time as I read it, and then would you verbalize it the next time? So you can hear yourself saying it to one another. How's that? Let's pray. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Before we read it together, I just want to, I want you to understand what this peace is, this harmony. Um, I have a little slide here that talks about shalom, this Old Testament concept of peace, because this isn't any kind of peace that this world provides. This is like a God peace. In fact, it says the God of peace, right? Peace is, is, is this harmony with God, harmony with yourself, because sometimes we're in inner turmoil with ourselves, right? Harmony within and harmony with others as well. What a beautiful thing to be able to pray and to believe in and to try to walk in with all that we've learned about Christ, all that we've learned about walking in his way. So let's go back to the prayer again. Let's say this together. I know it'll sound a little bit muffled, but that's okay. Let's say it together. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd even in his own talking in John chapter 10. He said that he would lay down his life for his sheep and that is what he has done. He loved you so much. He protected you and whatever was coming against you, whether it's a wolf or a bear or a lion or whatever, he stepped in the way. He took that. He died in your place. The great shepherd, Jesus Christ, he identified himself like that. Now, if you were God of the universe, how would you identify yourself? Because shepherds weren't like highly esteemed people in that culture. In fact, shepherds were kind of looked down on. 
Jesus is close to the lowly and those who are looked down on. Jesus identified himself as a shepherd, a great shepherd, the great shepherd. But what a beautiful savior we have. That he humbled himself. He's the creator of everything you see, everything we don't see. He's, he's, he's the master of the universe. That's probably how I would identify myself. <laughs> Tom, the master of the universe. You know, no, no, no. Jesus, the great shepherd of our souls. I pray that he continues to lead us and guide us as his sheep. All the wisdom of God's word. May it truly penetrate our hearts, our minds, and make a difference in our lives. Amen. 